Reclaiming Identity, sharing stories of struggle, pride, and redemption in reconnecting with our heritage. Hi, I'm Drora. And I'm Dahlia. And we're bringing you Reclaiming Identity as part of the ASF Institute of Jewish Experience. Do you feel a part of the Jewish story? Is your family what pops up when people think of Jews? At Reclaiming Identity, we celebrate and explore the greater Jewish experience. We encourage you to tell your story and take pride in your heritage as it is a part of your identity. Listen to other people's stories, ask questions, be curious, and reclaim your identity. Today, our interviewer will be Dr. Sasha Goldstein-Sabah, Assistant Professor of Middle Eastern Studies at the University of Hornigan in the Netherlands. Her recent book is called Baghdadi Jewish Networks in the Age of Nationalism. She will be interviewing Miriam Levin, who is based in France, but has begun to travel to Tunisia, her mother's family's homeland, for the past few years. Miriam is a journalist and founder of Stay Tunes on Instagram, where she shares the rich culture and heritage of the Jews of Tunisia. Welcome uh, today. For those of you watching us or listening to this podcast, thank you for joining us. My name is Sasha Goldstein-Sabach, and I am Assistant Professor of Middle Eastern Studies at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. And today we will be talking with Miriam Levin about the kind of the role of the legacy and memory of uh, Jews whose families come from the Muslim world. And I'm sure it's going to be a fascinating conversation. So perhaps Miriam, you can introduce yourself briefly. Yes, hi, Uh, my name is Miriam Levin. I'm French, I live in Paris and I work as a journalist. I can say a little more, but I work as a journalist. I write about women uh, daily, but I have a side project called Stay Tune, which is about uh, Tunisian Jews. So that's what brought me here today. And so maybe that's kind of a good segment because you are obviously French, which we can hear from your lovely accent, <laughs> but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about both where you were born, but also where your parents and grandparents were born. Yeah, of course. When I have little time, I say I'm French. And when I when I have plenty of time, I explain where I come from because it's a whole mix, like many Jews. My father's family, Levant, uh, was Levy. Levant was Levy. They were uh, French Jews. We say Israelite in French. They were in France. Uh, uh, they had been in France for many, many years. Uh, so that's my very French Jewish side, Levant. And my mother's family is from both Poland and Tunisia. But my grandfather, uh, the Polish one, lost all his family in Poland. He was living in Brazil at this time. And when he married, when he married my Tunisian grandmother, they went to live in Brazil and my mom was born in Brazil. And then they came in, they came to France when my mom was a kid. So that's very Jewish. But the thing is, is that my, my mom only had her Tunisian family when she grew up in France. So she grew up mainly in a Tunisian family, and that's my Tunisian heritage. I think it's really interesting that we're speaking with you today because different academics will be speaking with different Jews who are kind of part of the second or third generation who's left the Arab world. And of course, France is very different than the United States or other parts of Europe in that you have a dominant North African Jewish community. And 
of course, you also have an important Ashkenazi community, but you really represent both. And because of history um, and the organization of your family, obviously both of these traditions are important. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up, how the Tunisian side was represented and how the French traditional Israelite side was represented <laughs> as well. Of course, I was both close from my French side and my Tunisian side. I mean, my both grandmas, uh, I was close to them. So they, I spoke a lot to them. Um, I was, it was easier to be, to know about my French side because it was everywhere, you know, especially in Paris. There is a strong Jewish history. There are museums, there are many things. So I was like more familiar to my uh, Ashkenazi history. But my Tunisian grandma, she was the only one that could cook. So it was very important. <laughs> so we ate Tunisian at every Jewish holidays. And um, she, she had remained Tunisian. So she spoke a lot about Tunisia, even if I understood later that it was very complicated for her because she, she always said it was great, extraordinary Tunisia and blah, blah, blah. But I understood that she had made everything possible to leave Tunisia. So it was complex. And as uh, I think as in many families, we didn't really speak about the real issues. So she always said it was great and she was missing Tunisia and the food and the sun and the beach and stuff. But we never spoke about more dark issues, which I regret because now she died. But that's all of my projects and all of my searching, uh, the roots searching. I mean, in a place like Paris, how does this compare to your friends growing up as well? It was like, I think for many years, the issue was more being Jewish uh, compared to not being Jewish. And after it became Ashkenazi, Sephardic, it became more pre precise uh, because I grew up in a non-Jewish uh, school and I had, until my bat mitzvah, I had no Jewish friends. So it was like something very, but as many Jews in the world, I think it was something very, I kept from, for, for me. It was not a secret, but it was very personal. Then I met some, Jewish friends uh, in my reformed synagogue. So it's important to say it because it's not very typical from the Sephardic world. And my friends were more Ashkenazi, but were also a mix. I had some friends like me. And then when I became a student, I, I studied in Sciences Po, which is a political school. Uh, for the first time, I had uh, Jewish friends at school and they were more, uh, they were both Ashkenazi and Sephardic. And so I think that at that time, I became more interested. Uh, I dared more speaking about my Jewishness and my roots. And I think I became, I started to interest, to interest myself at that time. As you said, in France, um, unlike perhaps in other places, saying, you know, I have a Tunisian grandmother wasn't so surprising, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, no, it wasn't so surprising um, because the Sephardic community is huge, uh, but I didn't know that community very well until recently uh, because it's, it, there are very different histories and it's a very different relationship to Judaism, I think. Also, uh, Sephardic are more religious traditionally. And since I grew up in a not very religious family, I was naturally closer to Ashkenazi at the beginning. And then what's it's very interesting is that it's changing and I'm getting closer and closer to my Sephardic roots. And but yes, I'm I 
even if I didn't have close friends, Sephardic, I've always met Sephardic people and I had some friends of friends, cousins and stuff. So yeah, it was familiar and we have movies and we have stories. So it's something we know about. And it's something that non-Jewish people know more. I, I have the feeling sometimes they know more Sephardic culture than Ashkenazi culture. Right, in, in France, which makes yeah, it France. different than other places. Mm. Yes. Um, I think non-Jews know more actually about Middle Eastern and North African Jewish culture. And that's really what they think about their famous fr films like um, a French film called The Verité Sigement, which is now <laughs> quite old. Um, yeah. and, and this and this represents aspects of North African Jewry in a, in a very caricaturized way, yeah. of course. It's interesting because you grew up in this more Ashkenazi reform Judaism in Paris, which is very specific and maybe even not part of the larger um, Jewish demographic. And yet you've also been, you know, over time drawn to your, your Tunisian roots. And uh, you see my face also. I, I look very <laughs> North African. And my name is Miriam, which is not a detail because it's a Muslim name also. It's a Jewish and Muslim name. So which uh, what was interesting is that everybody thought I was Sephardic, 100%, everybody. And everybody thought I was Muslim most of the time. So I think that's also part of my history. Even if I was more uh, in an Ashkenazi world, Everybody thought I came from North Africa, which was true also because I have Tunisian roots, but people always think I'm from North Africa. So, of course, when you grow up like this, you start uh, asking yourself questions and looking for your roots. Right. When people think you're something, then <laughs> yeah. you want to know what they think and what their impressions are. Yeah. And so I guess for you, it's part of it is being um, the influence of the people around you, but also your close connection with with your grandmother. Yeah, um, of course. And do, do you have any specific story she told you about Tunisia that really marked you? Uh, she brought me to Tunisia, but it's very interesting, you know, it took me so many years to understand that. She, I'm the only one, I'm the eldest, so I'm the only one who traveled with her to Tunisia when I was 18 years old. And, uh, but she said she was a little old and had no money. So we, I think it was an excuse, but it's too late now. But she told me we will, we will uh, do a, a classical travel, like a French travel, you know, we went to all the touristic places and we didn't go to her place. So we went to Tunisia, she, she took me uh, to Tunisia, but she didn't take me to her house. She didn't take me, I think, I, that's my explanation now that it was too hard for she, she she was afraid to go back so she she wanted to take me to Tunisia to show me her country but uh it was too hard for her to go back to the house that's my explanation because I think it's so weird to do that but I was 18 years old I was very excited to go to Tunisia but I didn't realize what was going on and like now 20 years later I I, I regret but it's like that yeah. Where where was your grandmother from in Tunisia? Uh, she was from Tunis, Avenue de Paris, which is like the main road where all the Jews used to live. She lived like two minutes away from the synagogue. Very typical from Jews from Tunis. Yeah. And and when she took you there, did did she speak Arabic? 
Or... Yeah, so I discovered that because I didn't know my grandmother spoke Arabic because she never spoke Arabic in France. Since she had lived in Brazil and in the United States, I, 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 used, I, I was used to hear her uh, uh, speak uh, Portuguese, English, but Arabic never. So I discovered in Tunisia that when we went uh, in the streets, uh, in the markets and stuff, that she could speak Arabic. So I was kind of impressed. And with everybody were asking, uh, everybody was asking where we came from because always the same thing. Uh, my name is Miriam, I look Arabic and I was with her speaking Arabic. So they were like, very, who are they? I, I started to realize uh, the complexity of the Jewish history, but I was too young. And it took me many, many years after to understand the whole thing. And I think I will never understand everything, but that's another issue. Well, I don't think I'll understand <laughs> everything either. But I mean, I think when you when you talk about this complexity, you're right. You're speaking about someone like your grandmother who has these very warm and positive memories of her youth in Tunisia, the food, the sun, the people, family gatherings but also maybe has some more difficult relationships to the country. So the politics. Uh, I, I remember when we traveled there, it was still uh, Ben Ali. And like uh, many Jews, she was like, Ben Ali is good to the Jews. It was the only, you know, the only criteria. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But she didn't. She wasn't that much interested in politics. The the thing she kept saying to me, and I, I and I remember that she always said, "I'm um, deraciné in French, which is unrooted. How do you would? Yeah. yeah, unrooted, unrooted. Yeah. She kept saying that, and she kept saying that's how. That's why I married your grandpa." from Poland because he was also unrooted and I'm an unrooted and she kept telling me that and I think it, I, I mean uh, I think about this uh, a lot mm. so and I think this is very Sephardic and very from North Africa because now that I'm interested in that history this is something I hear a lot it's uh, the difficulty of being co still connected to your country but not being able to go back even it's if, if we were able to go back in Tunisia, I mean, there, there, there are planes, it's not that di difficult to go there, but mentally they were like, they felt they were unable to go back. And I think she lived with that her whole life. Right, right, because you can go back to the physical place, but the, the community yeah. that existed no longer, um, exactly. no longer exists. And, and exactly. that, is, that is extremely painful. Of course. Yeah. And I think her generation uh, didn't think about that. They didn't like make theories and, and research. I mean, not the, the professional, the historian and stuff, but the like normal people. They didn't think about that. So it was old history. Now they were French and that's it. So they were French. We were French. And let's move on. Uh, I was raised in that spirit the whole time. So, I mean, how do you feel in terms of the arc of Jewish history, I think actually you really represent everything when you talk about this. Yeah, and I realized that very lately, you know, uh, I was like 35 when I realized that I, I, I was carrying a lot of Jewish history. And I said that in, uh, as a joke in a broadcast that I, I represent the, uh, all the 
Jewish traditions in France because that very French Jew, Jewish tradition is also uh, also has a very strong history and about integration, a relationship to the Republic and being a French citizen and being betrayed. I mean, it's also a heavy history. So I think it's not easy every day, but it's very interesting because I think it took me a lot of time to being to be at peace with the idea that I was French, okay, but I was not that French. You know, during many years, I was the Frenchest. I don't know if I can say that, but I was so, I'm French, I'm from Paris, I love France. Uh, I didn't like to say I, I, I was different and stuff. But I could feel I was different. And, and that's not only because I was Jewish, that's because I don't look French. Uh, and that's important because every time, every time I, I meet someone in two minutes, they ask me where I come from. So it was uncomfortable for me to say I'm French, I'm French. I, I, I could feel something was missing. And now that I know more my Sephardic history, uh, it's easier for me to say, okay, I'm French, but it's complicated. Let me explain you. And, and then you have all the Jewish issues, but it's so it's too much for today. <laughs> it's a lot. It's yeah, a it's lot. A have lot. you ever had anyone ever speak Arabic to you spontaneously? Always, always, always. every single day since I'm 10. So that's why when I, I told you everything, I, everybody thinks I, yeah. I'm Muslim, it's in the streets. And right. I remember I was like eight years old. I remember very clearly the first time it happened. My dad sent me in the street. I was like 18, eight years, eight, sorry, I was eight. So I was a kid and he sent me uh, buy some milk, you know, uh, the corner. And in France, many corner shops are held by uh, Arab people. Yeah. And the guy spoke to me in Arabic and I was like, what's going on? I didn't get it, you know, I was eight and I yeah. was like, uh, je veux du lait, s'il vous plaît. And years after, I was like, okay, that's, that started this day. And then every single day. And even when I'm in Tunisia, uh, everybody speaks to me in Arabic. So it's kind of confusing because I've, I was al always said also that Jews and Muslims don't get along, which is not true, I think, but it's not easy to, to cope with that. And it's it's complicated and personal, right? Because if someone speaks Arabic to you <laughs> and then you respond and say, actually, I don't speak Arabic. I'm sorry. Um, but my name can... is Miriam, which is very yeah. Arabic. They don't get it. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I know it for other people in France who have had issues like this. Sometimes people get offended or they think you're pretending not to speak Arabic. Exactly. I don't know how, you know, you don't always get into a longer conversation with someone, but then it's oh, but you have a Tunisian grandmother, but she didn't teach you Arabic, right? Exactly, so exactly. <laughs> you get into this whole thing. But so, so then my question is, did your grandmother still use Arabic expressions with you or not so not, much? Not, not so much because as I told you, since she spoke many languages, mm -hmm. we spoke more Portuguese in, at home than yeah. Arabic because we had a, a, a Portuguese nanny, so they spoke Portuguese and stuff. But still, we have obviously some Arabic words and obviously because even French non-Jewish use those words. So. Sure. And what was strange is when she got very old, the last years of her life, sometimes, and I think it's very common, sometimes she like lost memory and stuff and spoke to me in Arabic, a few words, you know, she, she was confused. And so 
I read that it happened all the time when you get very old, your, your uh, language from your past come back. But yeah, sometimes she used some Arabic world, uh, uh, so, some yeah, some Arabic work, and she loved Arabic music also. Uh, so when I was going to her house, she was always listening to Arabic music, and she was close to her culture in that way too. So, so I mean, it seems like for you, and we're going to talk kind of now a little bit about what you do in terms of Tunisian Jewish heritage. On the one hand, it's this grandmother who you were very close with, but it's also being a Jew in modern France yeah. and the relationship between Jews, Jews and Muslims, which also kind of reminds you of this heritage, which is a little bit different than in a place like Israel, for example, or North America. Yeah, it's very political. So it's very political. And maybe that's what uh, brought me to my Sephardic heritage also, is that since I was a teenager, I, I had some Muslim friends, but not that much, but I do have some Muslim friends. And I always felt very connected to them. Uh, I've always loved uh, Arabic food, Arabic music, and I didn't really know where it came from. And now I know, <laughs> but so, and what I told you about everybody speaking to me in Arabic and stuff. So for me, it was very important to keep close to them. And uh, from, uh, I would say, year uh, 2000 and the uh, um, second intifada, we had a lot of troubles in France. And I was 18 years old. And I, for the first time, I understood that it was complicated, that people didn't like Jews and that uh, they were trying to uh, put uh, Jews and Muslim against each other and I felt very very bad at that time and I think I began to think a lot about that and to make it short I think I, I, I spent like 15 years uh, uh, thinking about Jewish and Muslim relationship before I started thinking of my Sephardic heritage I think uh, it, it uh, began like this it began with uh, me interested in how we live together what do we have in common uh, what do we share? Uh, what makes us French, but different French people, but very close? And then I realized that uh, I had my part of Arabic Jew heritage, but it was like taboo. And I know I, I can speak about that later. I know why I, I couldn't like uh, say it to myself. It was like forbidden to say that. <laughs> well, maybe you can tell us why. Yeah. <laughs> because... mean, think... Yeah, that's the, the issue. I, I realized that uh, my family and like many Sephardic family, especially in France, uh, they, di they didn't want to see uh, themselves as Arabic. So my, my grandmother and my mom always uh, told me, we are not Tunisian. We are French from Tunisia. We are French from Tunisia. My mom still say uh, that to me. Uh, your grandma was not Tunisian. She was French from Tunisia because the Jews from Tunisia could become French, but actually she wasn't born French. I I looked for and I found her naturalization. Uh, how do you say that? Naturalization? Yeah, her naturalization yeah. papers. Yeah, I found them. So because I was like, she could not have been born French. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't fit with the, the history. And so I found it and nobody had looked for it. So, you know, when your family keeps telling you, you're French, you're French, you're French, you're not, you, you don't want to go there. <laughs> right. And I actually, that's a common theme in France as well, is lots of people think um, 
that their their grandparents were French citizens in Tunisia and Morocco. And of course, Algerian Jews were French. Um, yeah. And then they do some research and they realize they weren't. And that's also part of the complicated relationship. So, so you actually did the research and it seems like for you looking more into the Tunisian aspect of your heritage was, was almost a little bit taboo in your family. Yeah, and I just I, I thought it was only my family, and not that uh, now that I interview a lot of uh, families from Tunisia, I realized that it's very common. So yeah, it was taboo. I think because it was such a progress for Jews in Tunisia to become French because they had access to education, to a lot of stuff, especially for women. And my grandma was a woman because they could go to school and uh, they, they got rights they didn't have. So they were so happy to become French that they felt very French. But I discovered that also that in Tunisia, uh, the Germans came to Tunisia and there was a Nazi occupation, which was not the case in Algeria and Morocco. My grandma never spoke about that. I mean, she spoke a lot about the war because uh, she had um, an American fiance, a GI, which was also <laughs> common. Yes, she very actually, common. <laughs> actually, she got married with one of them, but it didn't last. And she went, she spent one year in the US after the war. And then she divorced. She didn't have kids. And she came to France. She didn't come back to Tunisia because I think she didn't want to go back to Tunisia. It was too small for her. She wants, she was very modern. She, she was independent. But so in that way, she was not traditional at all. But so the only way I used to hear about the war, it was uh, because of the American GIs. And I had the impression she had a lot of fun, you know, during the war. So, but yeah, that's what uh, it was not always easy for them. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, but they had that that idea that Tunisia was a paradise, like, uh, you know, the lost paradise. And that's something I hear a lot in many testimonies. Me and that's something yeah. that I've heard as well. You know, this famous beach in Tunisia, La Goulette, and people yeah. would go there on vacation and they would eat sunflower seeds and roast fish and eat in in French pan bagna, these oily sandwiches or fricasse, um, these of oily tuna, tuna <laughs> sandwiches, right? So, so and brique, you, the and brique, brique. <laughs> yeah, which are again, everyone who's listening to us, mm. you should try all of these Tunisian delicacies because yeah. they're great. And they're, but just a lot, of oil, a lot of oil. You don't think about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you have the, like this rich history and you know about it. And you said, you know, at 18, you start thinking about also Jews and Muslims, but it took you 15 years to kind of really engage with your Sephardic, you know, Tunisian background. So what happens and what do you do? <laughs> what happened? I don't know. I don't know. I was thinking about that. Yeah, I do know. I think maybe uh, uh, doing an analysis helped me, you know, because you start uh, thinking about where you come from, uh, where are you, why you are torn into different direction and stuff. But I think the real day that I realized I wanted to speak about that was a documentary I watched uh, a very French documentary in France 2, which is like the main national channel. And it was a very traditional documentary about French history and French Republic seen by the uh, migrants, emigrants' uh, eyes. So you had like four hours of history and a lot of comments of French celebrities with migrant parents. Is that... Mm. 
Claire? Yeah, you understand? Yeah. So we have many celebrities that I had never heard before speaking about that foreigner heritage. And I thought it was very, very interesting. And when they were speaking, I was like, but I feel the same. I feel the same. But there were people from Senegal, from Vietnam, from Algeria, you know, mm. very all the immigration French uh, trends. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I feel the same. And uh, I think maybe... I don't remember there were some Jews or very little and I was like, okay, I, I, I would like to hear that story. I would like in that kind of documentary, I would like to hear those stories of Sephardic uh, who left everything and arrived in France at the same time in the same places because that's what is confusing also is that the Sephardic when they arrived in France in the 60s and the 50s and the 60s, they lived in the same places and the same buildings as uh, Arabic people immigrating from North Africa. As so Muslims. As yeah. Muslims, yes. So I was like, okay, I, I, I love the, that those stories. I've been uh, working on them for 15 years as a journalist. I was always very interested in those stories, but I never hear my story. I never hear uh, the story of Sephardic people, and I think it's very rich. That's when I started to ask more questions, like when did they arrive exactly? Why did they leave? Why this year? What happened this year? And I discovered a whole history I didn't know about Tunisian Jews immigration. And there are some years, very specific years, when they left Tunisia, and I knew nothing about that. So. As a journalist, I studied uh, politics and history. I was, you know, passionate by this history. I had spent a lot of years studying uh, stories of other people, and I was beginning to learn my own story. Yeah, and, and you could identify and with it. Yeah, yeah, and it's very rich. And I'm, and I was like, okay, it, it's not less interesting than other stories. And I'm a journalist. My 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 profession is to tell stories, so I have to tell that story. And that's how I created my Instagram account about uh, Tunisian Jews. And that's when I started to travel a lot to Tunisia, and I love that. <laughs> So tell maybe tell us a little bit about your your Instagram account and and what you put on there and also the reactions from people. I I'm fascinated. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was you know I, I I didn't really know what I wanted. I knew I wanted to tell that story. I saw that documentary and then a few months later, my brother, younger brother, tells me. I want to go to Tunisia. You went with our grandma when you were 18, but I've never been there. I want to go there. And I was like, okay, let's go because I was I was interested already. And we went there, we went there a few days with no information. And I touched, I, I could feel there were I, I left from Tunis this time with the feeling there were so many things to look for. I didn't know where to start, but I had that feeling I had to come back for a longer time. So the year after I had a five months break, I had seen this documentary and I was like, okay, I want to go to Tunisia. I want to look for that history, but I don't know exactly what. I was thinking about a documentary. I didn't know exactly. And I said, okay, the easiest, if I want to start now uh, with a very easy uh, tool, is my phone and only my phone so instagram is perfect because i spend a lot of time in instagram so it's gonna be easy i'm gonna just uh, to take some pictures and ask people how do they feel uh tunisian jews and 
Actually, I, I was thinking doing the interviews only in France. I was thinking I will do the interviews of Jews in France because I thought that in Tunisia there were no more Jews. And I will take some nice, pretty pictures of synagogues in Tunisia and do the interviews in France. But I didn't realize uh, what I was going to find in Tunisia and that I was going to meet a lot of people in Tunisia and that there was still a Jewish uh, living community there. It's small, but it's it's living and very active. So it was fascinating for me. So that's where that's how I left uh, the first time for Tunisia, and I started the account Stay Tune, which is a pun because yeah. Tune uh, means uh, Tunisian Jew. And and then I was kind of overwhelmed because when I got there. Uh, I wasn't expecting that it could interest so many people in Tunisia, non-Jews and the little community that is there. And so uh, people were very curious. I had uh, the Huffington Post Tunisia interviewing me because they thought it was really interesting to have that third generation coming back and stuff. So that's how it's, it was like my first week. Uh, I had that interview, <laughs> so I realized immediately that there were that it was huge, and it was not only me, but something was happening, and that's why we are talking today. Something is happening, and I discovered it while I was doing it. And so, and so, what is happening? I mean, I'm guessing through the Instagram account, people <laughs> also contact you now. Yeah, so I I did those interviews. Then, so I had my five months break. I, I went a second time to Tunisia. I had the 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 opportunity to go to Djerba, the pilgrimage of Lagriba, which is very famous. I didn't know nothing about that pilgrimage before, so I was there. I was there. It was like great, great, great. I loved it. And then I came back to my Parisian life as a journalist writing about women. And I decided to keep that as a, as a side project. So it's, it's two, I have two lives, you know, my <laughs> feminist uh, journalistic life in, during the week and my Tunisian life during the weekend. But it's very exciting because, yeah, um, people started to follow the account. It's not huge, but it's living, you know, and it's getting more and more followers every day. And so now I'm getting contacted by people here in France or there in Tunisia. And since I go often to Tunisia, I, I know some people now and it's small. Tunis is small, so people get to know me also. Through my interviews, I met people like me, people of my generation that was interested in their roots, the, some people that didn't really know how to get interested and that started following the account to get some information because I shared testimonies, pictures, events, everything going on about Tunisian Jews. But I also met people doing some stuff, which is very exciting for me because I realized I was not alone. Like always, you think you are doing your little thing and then you discovered it's a bigger movement. It was really exciting for me to meet some people I'm thinking about musicians, writers, filmmakers, uh, food, uh, like restaurant owners and historians. People are doing things in many, many fields. And we are happy we have met in France because we can build events together and it's starting to to happen. Someone, I, I'm thinking about uh, Jessie Levy, she has a Tunisian Jew restaurant. So, and she wanted to make some events and now that we know each other, we had a little party, La Goulette uh, party in her restaurant with a DJ that I met 
through my account, which is also Tunisian Jew, and she played the music during the party. And that DJ, which is called Sharu, uh, she is working on her Sephardic heritage music, her musical Sephardic heritage also. And so she's building her career on that, you know. It's very interesting to see that we are all exploring that field. It's amazing. I mean, I think it's amazing. First of all, I, I wish I was at that party. Um, you should come to the next one. <laughs> I will. I will be at the next one, and maybe other people listening will will inquire after or start following you on Instagram. But it's so it's it's almost as though you kind of started this personal journey because of your grandmother, and also maybe a little bit your professional background, and then through it, you found a community who's making kind of Tunisian Jewish heritage live in the 21st century. Yeah, and it's better because uh, it's even better than that is that now we know each other and the fact that we know each other, we I think we feel stronger. So we are building projects together. So now I come back from Tunisia. I was in Tunisia last month and I didn't speak about someone very important uh, in my research, uh, which is called uh, Moshe Uzan. Hi, Moshe, if you hear us. Uh, but he is one of the last Tunisian Jews from Tunisia. He is from Tunis. Uh, he's, he works uh, for the synagogue. I don't know how to say it in English, but he works for the synagogue. And he is passionate also about uh, Tunisian Jewish heritage. And he works a lot for that. And in my first trip, he, he helped me to find a ketubah I was looking for. And that's how we met. And then I discovered all the work he's doing in Tunisia. And he's a little bit alone in Tunisia, but he's doing a lot of stuff. And we're connecting uh, people and trying to build some project together to work for that memory. And now in Tunisia, there is also someone called Margot Fitoussi, uh, which is a French-American Tunisian Jew. Also, she's studying uh, at Colombia and she's doing her field research uh, in Tunis. So she's based in Tunis for one year and it's very interesting for me uh, to have her there also because we can exchange some contacts. When I know some people are going to Tunis, I put them in contact with Moshe or Margot and when they know some people there that, in, that are interested in Parisian stuff, I mean, we are creating, we are creating like a little network. Uh, I'm thinking also about Cleo Cohen who is um, um, she has just made a movie about her grandma history, which is releasing now in France, like next week. And it's very interesting that we all connect uh, to each other because we can build some project. And I'm also thinking about someone who is, who is not from our generation. She's called Gilda uh, uh, Spizikino. She's a first generation Tunisian Jew. She lives in Tunis. And she is also wanting to build some projects about th this memory. And she's based in Tunis. So I think it's very interesting that we are all connected. And now I'm connected with you, with Israel also, because I know there are many things going on in Israel also. And I think it's really important that we we become more uh, numerous, uh, like, because there, there are so many things to do, so many. That kind of leads into my, my final question <laughs> uh, to conclude this fascinating discussion. What is the future? What, what do you want to do with this, um, 
with not just preserving uh, Tunisian Jewish heritage, but you know, seeing what what does the twenty first century of Tunisian Jewish heritage look like to you? Um, I think when I think about that, I, uh, sometimes I get scared because it's too much. I have the feeling someone sometimes it's too much, and time flies. And maybe, I, I'm not sure. Maybe time flies against us because. Um, uh, the eldest are, are not going to last forever. And uh, so the Jewish community is getting uh, smaller and smaller in Tunisia. And so the buildings, the synagogues, the cemeteries are, I hope they won't disappear. So I think that's a very important stake now that we do stuff to, to rebuild synagogues, to not ab abandon them. And so that's for the, the heritage side of the project. But what's my part as a journalist, as a French citizen, as a third generation kid, uh, is uh, how do we tell those stories? So, and as a journalist, of course, I want to tell the stories and that's what I'm starting to do. And I hope I have more time and, and more possibilities to do that in the future. We need to tell the stories how do we live with that heritage? What do we keep from that? What, what do we not keep from that? Because uh, the world is changing. We are French or American or Israeli citizen, but we keep some tradition. And that's for me, sometimes I'm, it's questioning, like I'm a feminist journalist and I love non-feminist traditions, you know, from the Sephardic world. So how do we live with everything? How do we cope with everything? I think we have to think about that. But for now, I think the emergency is that we we write the stories, we take care about the monuments, we connect to each other, uh, we connect uh, different countries also, like Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, I guess Egypt also, and all the Mizrahim worlds, which is another story but that I don't know very well. But yeah, it's huge and it's great that you, you interview me today. Thank you so much because it's important that we speak. Uh, that's how things will change, I think. Yeah, and I think I think what's great about us having this conversation today is you're obviously the granddaughter of a Tunisian Jew, but this your traditions and your customs like they haven't disappeared and and you're working not only to preserve them and preserve the history, but also kind of see them through in what you know like modern Tunisian Jewish identity looks like. And maybe that is a party at a Tunisian Jewish restaurant with a DJ and something yeah. which is really a mashup between, you know, modern 21st century socializing, but still remembering, you know, the, the culture through food, through music, also through religious customs, right? Of so course, I uh, and to jewels or, you know, I always say uh, I like to create a hipstune community, which is a mashup between hipster and tune. <laughs> so I think there is uh, there are many things to do in that way and this is happening and in France you know we are having a big exhibition next month about uh, Jews in the Arab world next year there will be another exhibition about Jews and Muslim in North Africa so I have the feeling things are coming and next month the reform and uh, next week the reform synagogue uh, of Copernic is having a Sephardic sh uh, Shabbat for the first time so I think there is something happening. We'll see, I hope. Inshallah. Inshallah. <laughs>
<laughs> Maybe that's how we should end. So thank you so much, Miriam. And for everyone who's listening, you should definitely follow her on Instagram and stay tuned to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. um, thank so you thank so you. much for interviewing me and thank you for speaking about everything. And I hope we will meet again soon. Thank you for listening. Reclaiming Identity is produced and edited by Moshe Singer and executive produced by Dalia Arusi and Drora Arusi. Our theme music is by Vanessa Paloma. Be sure to check her out on Spotify. Be a part of the reclamation. Subscribe to the Reclaiming Identity podcast on our website, instituteofjewishexperience.org, on our Facebook page, Spotify, or Apple Music. Follow our programs on our website and the Institute of Jewish Experience channel on YouTube. And please help support these and other ASF Institute of Jewish Experience efforts by donating today.